Welcome to Lean Agile Management Podcast, a show by Kanbanize that helps you boost work efficiency, create culture of high performance, and build teams that thrive. Welcome to the lounge. Today in the show. If from your strategy you can't identify anything that you would say no to, it's probably not a good strategy. So it's not making commands and having control, it's, it's, it's giving commands and giving control about how to implement those commands. I've been talking about recently about, you know, failure is not an option, actually, because failure is a necessity. We actually have to fail. Strategy and aspiration are about being clear on an intent so that autonomy doesn't lead to chaos. So actually, the, the tactical thing, the thing that most people jump in first with, you know, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it, should be the last thing. That's the last decision we should make. Our special guest today is Carl Scotland. He's a strategy deployment expert, public speaker, professional lean and agile consultant for clients like BBC, Yahoo, Cisco, and others. He's a founding member of Limited Web Society and Lean Systems Society. Hi, Carl. Welcome on the show. Hi, thanks very much for having me. Good to talk to you. Well, I'm very glad you could find the time for us and I'm happy to have you here today. So in the modern, very fast-moving economy in the world, it seems like the plans we come up with get outdated faster than they can even be implemented or even thought about implementing. So we keep hearing that people say strategy becomes quite a challenge. What kind of common issues and approaches with strategies do you see people are um, experiencing today? Yeah, so um, I find that... Um so, so absolutely, things are moving. Things are moving fast, and and I think that's one of the drivers behind agile, lean and agile, is that we want to be more responsive. We want to be able to move fast. Um, what I find though is that organisations are are moving fast, but maybe they're they're just spinning their wheels. So, mm. what they're doing, all all the the, the product and the, the the output that they're producing, um, isn't actually aligned to any strategy. Um, Either because they, the, the teams and the, the kind of the, the, the bits of the organisation that are developing the software, don't know what the strategy is, or, or sometimes the organisation actually doesn't have a strategy or not, not a clear strategy. Um, so everybody's doing their best, but we're not really making any progress, and we're not actually having any business impact. So what I'm what I try to do to is is figure out what is the strategy. So if we if we can help organisations understand what their strategies are. And we can then start aligning the agile transformations and the work that agile teams are doing to that strategy. Then we start to have a, a, a better chance both that the organization is successful, um, but also that the teams can figure out what is the, what is the right thing to do. Because um, even with agile, we start still going to organizations where agile is just something that teams are told to do. Um, you know, we're, we're going to go agile. We're going to use this method. We're going to use this approach. Um, just do it. Um, and you, you're going to get some small gains, but I don't think that's going to be successful in the long term. Right. Yeah. Um, and what kind of specific issues do you think people would have, apart from obviously not having any strategy? What kind of challenges do they face when they start thinking about, okay, we have this, let's say, disruption in the market, or we're clearly lagging behind. We need to do something. So what what would be the typical roadblocks preventing people from getting to productive discussion? Um, so the, the first thing is is being clear on what those challenges are. So where the disruptions are coming from, or what the opportunities that you can take are. Um, mm. So so I, I 
refer a lot to um, a, a model by Richard Rummelt called the Strategy Kernel. Um, mm-hmm. a great book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. And he says that the three core elements of strategy are, are the first is diagnosis. So actually we need to diagnose what the problems are. What are, what are the things that are going to stop us being successful as an organization? That leads us to putting in some guiding policies about how we're going to address that. Um, and then that allows us to take coherent action. So we need to have all three of those things in place. I think they're useful things to think about. Um, what, what does it mean to, for us to be successful as an organization, not just as a team or a, a, a product development program, but for the organization to be successful? And what's our diagnosis of the current situation? So situational awareness, which can lead us to, to make some, some key choices. So the other useful model there is um, Roger Martin's playing to win. So he talks about where do you play and how are you going to win? So where are we going to play? How are we going to win this? That, that leads us to strategy. And then we can take coherent action. Um, but I think the, the coherent action needs to be taken um, and decided by the people who are doing the work. Um, so a lot of the time, the coherent action, if, if, if agile, implementing an agile approach is our coherent action, it comes as a top-down thing. Whereas really we want that to be a bottom-up thing. So, so strategy is defined by the leadership of an organization and how we meet that strategy, how we implement that strategy is, is decided by the people at the coalface, you know, the people that are doing the work, the people that are closest to the problem. Um, so if we, can, if we can get really strong alignment between those two things, then I think we can solve problems much more effectively and more quickly. Right. Yeah. And this is the point that is familiar for people who are close or interested in agile and lean. But I guess this sounds really um, revolutionary and sometimes even dangerous to some people in more traditional management um, environment. Um, But you said some, um, you made an interesting point about um, setting up what we actually want to achieve. So, yes, we have these challenges, but defining success seems to be. A crucial part of this as well. Mm-hmm. So, could we expand a little bit on that? Are there some kind of frameworks or methods that we can use to help us identify the true goals? Because we'll get only what we measure, right? Yeah. So, so I use a model that I call Taste. Um, T A S T E. Um, just as a kind of hopefully a memorable acronym. Um, so I start with the, the T is, is true north. Um, so this is a you know the lean concept of of what direction are we going in as an organization, and everything that we do as an organization should should take us towards our true north. So that's the first thing is a really high level thing, um, and it is I find it people find it useful to think of it in terms of you know vision or mission. Um, okay. So that kind of big kind of you know ten twenty year goals of the organization really you know why was the organization created in the first place? What well, was kind of those really big problems we were trying to solve? But but that's long term. So in a shorter term, um, the A then is aspiration. So what are our aspirations as an organization? And I usually find that, that actually when you start digging, those those people know what those are. You know, if if you're a public company, you've probably got made some commitments to the you know your shareholders, your you know the, the market um, about what you want to do in in the year. And that's there's an economic model behind the organization. It, it's there. Um, but usually it's, it's hidden away and only, you know, the, the CFO might really understand it, but, um, number of customers, number of sales, number of transactions, number of users, 
Um, all those things are probably, you know, the economic um, indicators of whether the organization has been successful. And ultimately, when we get to the end of the year, we're usually saying about, did we, did we get the number of sales that we wanted? Did we, um, did we reach our, you know, the number of new customers or did we reduce the number of the amount of customer churn that we're having? There's some, normally some big things there, but that's what I talk about aspirations. Um, and, and, and those things are, I don't think we need any kind of new clever models to figure out what those are. That normally it's just, all it is, is, is making it transparent and clear that this is what we should all be working for. I kind of try and I prefer to talk about them aspirations rather than targets. Just as soon as we get into targets, then potentially we start driving bad behavior. And we usually we want those aspirations to be ambitious. So it's okay if we don't meet our aspirations, maybe. Whereas, whereas targets, you tend to think of, you know, if you don't meet your target, it's, it's negative. Um, yeah. but, but aspiration, like a size of our, the ambition that we have in the organization, and then we can then start talking about, well, what's going to stop us doing that? And that's when we get into that, that um, thing of the, the diagnosis area um, and the number of tools there. So one, one thing that I kind of quite useful to just to get people thinking about this is the cognitive edge future backwards exercise, uh, which is really getting people to think about what would the, what the, you know, an unreal utopian future look like um, and what would an unreal dystopian future look like? So getting people to think out of the box, um, be really creative about what would, what would you know the future look like if it was really good or really bad? And what are the things that might lead us to those you know futures? Um, and that usually draws out some some perspectives about the organisation's past and the things that are going on now, and what people's different perspectives are on what the future might look like. And that that often draws out. Um, so I did this with an organisation, and it turned out that there was there were some kind of clear architectural issues that the organisation had that the the CEO was completely unaware of. Um, by getting a group of people in the room and, and running these these exercises just to get stuff out and on the table, we we can start deciding as to what we should do about it. That then becomes your guiding policy. So that's strategy. So True North Aspiration Strategies. Um, I, I've kind of been thinking recently about strategies as as the choices we make about how we want people to make choices. So, so it is a choice about you know where we play, what we're going to do, how we're going to win. Mm-hmm. But it's not a detailed choice. It's, okay. it's as what Rummel calls guiding policies. So they should guide us towards making decisions, but they're not the detailed decisions themselves because we want the people closest to the problems to be making those decisions about what the right things to do are on, the, on a day-to-day basis. So they're the tactical things. And so, so once we've set the strategies, people can then make tactical decisions about what do we do in the, in the, you know, the really short term, the near term, what do we do today, what do we do tomorrow? to implement that strategy in order to help us meet our aspirations. And then the last bit of the, of the model is, is evidence. As we're implementing tactics, we're making these tactical decisions about um, what features we should build, what products we should build, what processes we should use, what technologies we should use, what practices we should, we should use, all these, these kind of day-to-day decisions that we're making about how we work and what we work on. We want some evidence that... The, the decisions we're making are good decisions or evidence we're making are not so good decisions. And if we pick up that evidence and get fast feedback on that, then we can start amplifying the good decisions, dampening down the, 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 the less successful decisions. And what we want to see is evidence that we are going to win, evidence that we're going to meet our aspirations. 
So, so true north aspirations, strategy, tactics, evidence. I, that's the model that I use. And then there's a there's a nice framework that I that I like to use called the X matrix, which which mm-hmm. puts those models on a single A3 piece of paper that we can visualize all the different pieces of it. And it's I and I kind of use a metaphor of a jigsaw puzzle. We've got all these pieces of a puzzle. We start putting them onto onto this framework, and we can start correlating how they fit together. So we can then have conversations, and the conversations really is the key bit um, about why we think certain strategies will contribute to certain, you know, meeting certain aspirations, or why we think certain tactics will help implement certain strategies, why we think certain tactics will lead to generating certain types of evidence, etc. Um, we, we can visualize that on a piece of paper and, and even populate this framework on a piece of paper in a, in a workshop. Um, we start getting alignment and the alignment is the key. You, you, you mentioned earlier, people are concerned that um, if we give people autonomy, they're going to go off and, and chaos will happen. Actually, the model that, that comes from the Prussian army in the, the 19th century, you know, we, um, so it's actually a military model, which is a really good one, is that we can have alignment and autonomy. So if we give people a real clear intent about what we're trying to achieve and, and how we want them to achieve that, they can decide what to do at the, at the ground level. So strategy and aspirations are about being clear on an intent so that autonomy doesn't lead to chaos. We can give, like, give people the autonomy to make decisions on the understanding that you understand the intent behind the decisions that they're making. It's interesting that actually that military tactics, those military tactics are still used today. and. Some of the best examples of military units that we know, like SEALs in the United States, people might not know, but that's exactly how it works. They, they are trained to be the best they can be, but then they're, only, they're not giving exactly specific ground-level tactics. They're giving right. large and they, then they have the autonomy to do that. Yeah, so the military gets a, um, is, I think it's misunderstood within the software community because we talk about military command and control as if it's a bad thing. But I've, my understanding is that you're giving commands as in terms of giving intent, but you're also giving control. Mm-hmm. So it's not making commands and having control. It's, it's, it's giving commands and giving control about how to implement those commands. So yes, uh, Stephen Bungay's um, book, The Art of Action, is a great kind of historical um, review of, of military history and about how the military solved this problem, you know, 200 years ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the other recent one, more recent book is, is um, David Marquet's book, Turn the Ship Around, which is about how he applied some of these principles to turn a, a failing nuclear submarine into one of the most successful um, nuclear submarines in the fleet. <laughs> wow. That's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, yeah, two really good books, definitely. Um, but you also mentioned a very interesting and strong point about aligning all these different levels. So as I get it, the X matrix would help us do that, but how how exactly should somebody approach such a complex issue as aligning different levels of an, of an organization? So we mentioned some bits about transparency and delegating control, but how can all these things click together? Um, yeah, so there's, 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 there's some cadence involved. So, so this isn't a one-off, create the X matrix, you know, hand it off to people and, and make it happen. Um, the, mm-hmm. 
Populating an XMAX is usually the kind of the, the very first, it's the start of the journey. Um, it creates the initial alignment and initial shared understanding. And, and you want a, a kind of diverse group of people involved in um, in populating that X matrix. So, so all areas of the business and all levels of experience in the business, kind of senior to junior and, you know, marketing to, to product development. Um, but one, and then once you've come up with those high level tactics, um, then the next level down or the next step is, is what's called back briefing. Um, so this is another term that, uh, that, that I've picked up from Bungay's book, Stephen Bungay's Out of Action. Effectively, you're, you're giving a brief to a group of people to go off and um, invest their time in solving a problem in, in a certain way. So you've given them the intent. What you want them to do is brief back to you what they've heard. So what's their understanding of what they've been asked to do, what problem they're trying to solve, um, how what they're doing is is helping the business, um, what their freedoms and constraints are, you know, what they can do, what they can't do. So th- if they brief back that to you, we can start picking up early any misunderstandings. Um, so I like you know the the metaphor of um, you know we 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 give people the challenge of of um, crossing a river. Um, so the intent is we need to get onto the other side, and, and that's what we ask people to do. They brief back, and and they 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 their understanding of the problem may be that we need to get some tanks over the river, um, so that we can um, you know get our troops into an advantageous position. Um, so what we're going to do is 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 build in some uh, bring in some some kind of metalwork and, and engineers, and we're going to build a kind of a robust bridge. Um, actually the intent is not to get tanks over there. The intent is just to get a couple of people over there with some food for the locals. So we've, we've communicated the intent as building a bridge. Some of the kind of detail around that might've been lost. So if we just say build a bridge, people might go off and build this really robust over-engineered bridge. Well, actually all we want is a, is a small rope bridge. So by getting people to brief back, we pick up on that slight lack of alignment and we can correct it quickly. Um, and then once, you know, once people start putting the plan into action, um, obviously the, we make plans, but plans don't, don't, don't work out as we expect to. So we want quick feedback cycles in there. So as people take action, and, and this, is, this is the kind of the evidence piece really of the, the model that I described, if we can get that feedback quickly, then again, we can start picking up and adjusting plans accordingly to try and meet the outcomes that we're looking for. So it's really feedback cycles. Um, so for back briefing, I, I like to use A3s. So, you know, the lean um, literature talks a lot about A3s, just that the A3 is a size of piece of paper. Single piece of paper, if we can condense and communicate what we're doing and why we're doing it into a single piece of paper. Uh, one, it's easy to communicate. It's really easy to update uh, as we learn. And it probably means we understand the, the problem really well. Usually when you get thick documents, um, people have just been very verbose because they don't really understand the problem. If you understand mm-hmm. something, you should be able to describe it really concisely on a single piece of paper. Great. So yeah, so so A three thinking is is a really powerful tool as well, um, and and the X matrix as an A three is kind of the the one I like to use to to kind of get the ball rolling. In other words, they help us see everything at once and make put it in succinct format, right? 
I guess there is also even alignment already there built in. So there is a little opportunity to to have those uh, small misinformation elements that we've mentioned. So all of those, you immediately think about what it would mean in different levels, right? You'd break it down to some extent, um, very similar to this taste model that we talked about. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's so yeah. So as we break things down, we get that feedback. We can the feedback kind of flows back, and we can start adjusting. So so all of this is is hypothesis. So even when we're we're um, stating aspirations, that's that's a hypothesis of what we think is is maybe achievable. Our strategy is a hypothesis around the approach we should take. Um, the, the the evidence is a hypothesis about the, the things we the right things we think to, to to look for and measure and that we think we should be seeing and hearing the tactics are the hypothesis so they're all different levels of granularity and they all fit together um, so so if you think of your x matrix as as the, the big hypothesis um, that's going to have a slow feedback cycle you know mm-hmm. potentially you know a year before you figure out whether the x matrix is right so you start taking each tactic and breaking that down to smaller things till you get some fine-grained experiments. So you end up with this kind of nested fractal experimentation cycle where the small experiments feed back up to the, the bigger experiments and maybe at the back briefing, the operational level, and then that feeds back up to the, the top-level strategy um, cycle so we can start adjusting, start adjusting strategy if we decide that the strategy we've chosen is the wrong one. We don't want to wait the whole year to discover that actually we picked the wrong strategy. Um, and actually, we, we had this. So I started doing this with Rally Software when I was working for them. And we did have a, a year where we got to the end of the first quarter and we just had to reset because we decided that the, the strategy, we'd, one of the strategies we'd chosen was the wrong one. Um, so we, we adjusted the strategy. And I think from future years, we started trying to um, test the strategy a little bit earlier in the year so that we didn't get too far into the next year before we discovered we made a mistake. And what would signal usually about the mistake? Would it be business outcomes or is there any kind of other early prevention or early alarm system? Yeah, it's, it's, it's business, business outcomes. It's, it's, it's to do with the evidence. So, um, it might be that you're looking to, um, get some traction in a new market or, you know, go, go after certain new types of customers or, um, go after, a um, you know, a new, new type of product, maybe or a new technology. And, and some of that early feedback that you're looking for, that evidence you're looking for tells you that it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we thought we, we thought we could go into, uh, so I, I can't remember exactly what the strategy was for rally, but let's, let's take an example that, you know, we decided we're going to go into the, the Asian market as a, as a strategy. That's, that's where we're going to go and play. Um, and we get into the first quarter and we, we've haven't got even a single new customer in Asia or, you know, we, we've not been able to open an office there or, um, we've, we've not been able to employ anybody there. And, you know, we might just decide, you know, this isn't going to work. Um, you know, the, the, and, and you've got to make a decision and, and it's a, it's a judgment call. Usually do we, do we, do we keep on plowing, um, plowing on with this strategy? Do we just give it a little bit more or do we just admit that actually we probably made the wrong choice here? Um, we can probably spend our time going in a different direction. Mm. And that, that requires people to, um, to be prepared to, to face up to the fact that they made a bad decision. So we, uh, 
a lot of a lot of organizations the you know the leadership team are they're in the leadership team they're they're the managers because they have the knowledge they make good decisions and and they're not allowed to make mistakes but actually hey I mean everybody we all make mistakes we all make poor decisions what we want to do is be able to pick up on those poor decisions early learn from them and move on um mm. so so um <laughs> I've been talking about recently about, you know, failure is not an option, actually, because failure is a necessity. We actually have to fail. Um, another kind of book recommendation is um, a book by Matthew Syed called uh, Black Box Thinking. Um, so he, he, one of the, 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 the metaphor behind the book is the, the black box that air, um, airlines use, the aviation industries use, because as soon as there's a, a, a mistake, as soon as a, a plane crashes, they don't try and hide that. They don't try and, you know, sweep it under the carpet and say, oh, well, flying's complicated. Uh, you know, these things happen. Um, they're pouring over the data. They're trying to figure out what happened. Um, and, and many of the advantages, not just technically, but advances in, in procedural and the way the, the crew kind of communicate and interact in the cockpit have come from learning from earlier mistakes. Um, mm -hmm. And actually... That's why the avian industry is is actually really safe. It's that's why it's so safe to fly because they're really good at learning. Mm, yeah, it is really a, a big part, I guess, about continuous improvement and learning because it's not yeah. just one big project, as you said. It's not just you will do it once and it will be great. And interesting that you made a parallel with aviation because it's often used as, as an example of for how strategy should work sometimes or always. Because if a, if a plane takes a route or course with just a five degree mistake or error, if they keep going that direction for 10 minutes, that five degree difference will make hundreds of miles yeah. of difference. And if nobody notices for long enough, you might get into a situation where you have no fuel to make it right anymore. Yeah. So yeah, it's continuous improvement and learning. It seems like this is just inseparable with healthy strategy absolutely yeah and, it, and it's all about um i mean i just talk about learning organizations you know organizations that that are good at learning uh, um mm -hmm. and organizations that are not good at learning just put plans together implement those plans um and then when the plans fail uh, when they're not successful then they try and figure out how to blame and somebody gets fired and then we start the process again we even make more plans The plans fail. We find out who to blame. Whereas what we want to be doing is figuring out how do we how do we solve problems. Let's recognize the fact that um, we don't have all the information. We don't have all the knowledge. Nobody does. But if we work together and we learn how to solve our problems, um, then as the problems change and as we discover new problems, we can just continue solving them. So for me, um, the, the, what I see my job as a as a consultant is is not just Um, teaching people solutions, it's teaching people how to solve problems. Um, mm. If I just teach people a solution to today's problem, then they'll be okay for today and the next few days. But as soon as the problem changes, um, they're back where they started. So I've not really helped them. Um, if I can teach people how to solve problems and how to be you know, critical thinking and, and learning and, and all these kind of good things, you know, re recognizing feedback, then they're going to be, it's going to be much more sustainable. They're self-sufficient. So, you know, teaching, teaching people to fish rather than uh, teaching, sorry, teaching people how to fish rather than just giving them a fish. Mm. Mm, yeah. 
that's i guess it's the only scalable way to do to learn anything yes yeah, yeah. It, it's it's it takes a long time it's it's a lot harder um mm. but but long term it's it's an investment that's worth making as we're getting closer to the end of of this interview i just wanted to ask what would be maybe the top advice that you would give um, organizations that are starting to think more systematically about strategy how not to get sidetracked and distracted because everyone especially people think okay now i will let some more people have a say in the strategy and then i'll get so much information that it's just you cannot please anyone and you shouldn't mm-hmm. so how, how to stay on track when trying to build a healthy strong good strategy so so i think the first the first thing is is understanding what good strategy is uh, and you know i'd go back to to rumel's book on good strategy bad strategy because you know that's exactly what he's talking about um a, a good strategy is about making choices and making decisions you can't please everybody all the time um and actually that's what a lot of organizations do they'll they'll you know they'll say yes to everything um but actually strategy should enable you to to decide not to do things they should you should be saying no if your strategy if from your strategy you can't identify anything that you would say no to it's probably not a good strategy so the the other kind of nice definition of strategy that I like is that strategy is a uh, is it's a it's a pattern in decisions that have been made so so you should be able to look at a, a set of decisions and made made spot the pattern in that and infer the strategy from that pattern of decisions and those decisions about yeah we'll do that because because it meets our strategy but we're not going to do that because it doesn't so just thinking about what is our strategy um and having a small number of strategies so the, so the other the other thing i see is is organizations have about 10 strategies um and all you're doing is creating a set of 10 buckets within which you can justify any piece of work so small in the same way you know we talk about prioritizing and and selecting what work we should do let's let's be clear on what is our strategy what are where are we going to play and where are we not going to play and what what are we not going to do but once you've got that Every, and, and make sure everybody understands it then the next thing is is looking at outcomes the the evidence so actually the, the tactical thing with the thing that most people jump in first with you know this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it should be the last thing that's the last decision we should make um so really what what's our strategy and and what what are the evidence those are the two things that i would look for recommend looking at first and then people can make decisions on what they do based on does this align to the strategy and is this going to help move the needle on on any of these pieces of evidence um and the x matrix you know is 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 just a really good way of of visualizing that um but it it, it can be quite complex so just the the simplest way of doing it i think um is is okrs objectives and key results Mm-hmm. and kind of think about strategies in terms of maybe objectives strategic objectives so what are the two big things that we want to achieve what are the key results that will indicate provide evidence that we're meeting those objectives um you can do that at the organizational level you can do that down at the team level you can do that down at the individual level um make all those things transparent so that we can pick up any lack of alignment and and allow people to to figure out what they do you know people should be able to decide how they achieve those results and how they meet those objectives so okrs is is possibly the simplest way of getting started and for the end i'd like to ask is there some kind of secret to success <laughs> people always <laughs> want to have a shortcut 
Is there something that puts successful teams and successful companies who under who have achieved some clear understanding of how and what they want to do? Is there something that makes them different from the rest of the companies? I I think I'd go back to that that attitude to failure, allowing people to make mistakes, making it safe to to make mistakes. And a, and a kind of healthy focus on learning from those mistakes. Clearly, you don't want to be making, you know, we're not talking about celebrating failure. So it's not, you know, let's make mistakes all the time. Um, so in information theory suggests that, you know, um, you, you get most information and most learning when you fail around about 50% of the time. Um, no so because you, 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 you predict something and you don't get, the prediction doesn't happen, and, and you, you learn something, that's, that's information. Um, hopefully you use that information and the next time you'll now be successful and, and then you'll try something else and you'll not be successful. So that's kind of, you know, it's, it's never going to be literally, you know, succeed, fail, succeed, fail. But, you know, broadly speaking, um, to get the most information, you should be failing um, or, or you know, not, not, not meeting your predictions 50% of the time. So, and, and, and that scares a lot of people. That's, that sounds like a lot of failure. Um, but, but the organizations that, um, don't see that as a bad thing. So they, you know, they see that as something to be, um, to uh, kind of talk about, you know, if you fail, it should be a friend and not a foe, you know, um, so, so, you know, it's a healthy thing. And you look at, um, you know, a lot of, lot of successful organizations out there and, um, and what you see is, is the successful end product. What you don't see is all this failure that's gone on beforehand. So, um, so in, in black box thinking, um, the, the, the example that's thinking to mind at the moment is James Dyson and, you know, his, his vacuum cleaner, uh, he, he, I spent a lot of time producing lots of different variations of that, which none of which worked until he eventually he he, he invented the one that's been hugely successful now. Um, right. So um, if you if you don't if you try and avoid failure, you won't be successful. You know, it's kind of it's a paradox. Um, in order to be successful, you have to fail. It might be one of the most counterintuitive things. It, it is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> The second to that would be only limiting your work in progress. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Stop starting and start finishing. Yeah. But then, yeah, that's so true. People only concentrate on the successful outcome of someone else and they have no idea how much, how many failures went into that. Even, yeah. even light bulbs. It's, yes. Yeah. I'm going to say there's the famous Edison quote, isn't there? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Did he make something like 10,000 of them? It's something like that. I, I forget the the exact quote, and uh, you know, I don't know whether it's how how true it is. It's you know, it's probably a, a number that we plucked out of the air for dramatic effect. But yes, absolutely. You know, lots of failure went into that that one success. Yeah, and that's that's a pity that today we're so uh, failure averse because yeah. we literally now rest on top of someone else's failures and and one success. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you very much. It's been a really interesting and um, powerful conversation about strategy and approach to strategy. Right, thank you. I enjoyed it. It's a pleasure to have you. And I think there is so much in it that it would be interesting to dive into some of these aspects maybe once again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Thank you. Yeah. The Lamp is brought to you by Kanbanize, the leading Kanban software for lean management. Learn more at kanbanize.com. 
you're watching us on YouTube, leave us a like. And if you're listening on iTunes, feel free to leave us a review. We really appreciate that. Thanks for joining us and see you here next time.